I'm Jen. Thanks for joining. And this is A Beautiful Question, a space to engage three folks over the course of three separate conversations, each in contemplation of the same single question. Questions invite us to suspend action. They encourage exploration and a receptivity to new data, new insight, and new perspectives to entertain new possibilities. And a beautiful question. Well, a beautiful question is simply a many-sided prism that we get to hold in our hands, turning and exploring, examining as the light refracts, depending on the angle and the way we hold it. Examining and re-examining until we find our favorite light and angle combination. A beautiful question invites us to connect to self in a more profound way. It requires the mind to stay open, to ruminate, to continue to consider, to even wonder. And in that space, that tiny opening between wondering and knowing is an incubator for new signals, ones from our hearts and our guts, pings of passion, pings of deep intuition. Questions allow our minds to settle into the ambiguous gray space of the unknown and marinate to stay receptive to possibility. Today's question invites us to consider how might we operate in service of self? Ours is a lifetime of labor. We learn early that working hard is the only way to get ahead in life. Hard work separates the boys from the men, the wheat from the chaff. From apprentices to leverage models, we use our labor to advance the outcomes for others. And for many of us, our labor becomes a love language. We become so oriented to working hard and working hard to help others that it morphs into deep and profound acts of service. We pour ourselves into our work, into our communities, into our families, chosen or otherwise, into everybody and everything at the expense of self. Because while we may love it, while it may be rewarding, these acts of service over time leave us depleted. But why is that? Well, ours is a system of extraction. There is often no time offered or held for us to express or assert our needs. Instead, we give and give of ourselves until one day we struggle to have anything left to offer. And when or if asked what we actually need, we likely cannot answer it. We lack the words. We lack the tools. In fact, the idea of centering or even expressing our needs, particularly when it feels like the world is burning around us, feels like a selfish act. And then, from the dust of a labor-riddled, capitalist society, we see the boom of the self-care industry, full of face masks, bubble baths, paint-and-sip parties, and the list goes on and on. These band-aid fixes, somehow meant to refill our cup, make us healthy and whole, when in fact, they serve as a distraction from just how empty we are. So today's conversation explores what a lifetime of service, so easily and readily pointed externally, might look like pointed inward. Let's practice. And when I, when you say in service to self, I, I felt a little friction. I, I'm like, oh, maybe it's because I'm also sitting in this like mired AI space. In this first contemplation, I'm joined by my dear, dear friend and recent graduate of Harvard Divinity School, Jen Louie. Join us as we consider how turning inward towards self might just be a declarative act of liberation. 
I've recently graduated from Harvard Divinity School, so my lens through this is a bit spiritual. Um, I'm also working on the governance of AI, uh, and so um, and that's where my research is taking me right now. And so I have been thinking about the ways that our social media culture, um, all these things that AI is feeding on, is leading us into um, into what I'm calling like selfie culture. Mm. Uh, so I feel like. Um, and when I when you say in service to self, I, I felt a little friction. I, I'm like, oh, maybe it's because I'm also sitting in this like mired AI space where right. I feel like um, uh, we're so concerned with how it's going to impact um, us individually. Sometimes we forget to, to see uh, that there's a larger scope to that. And I think that's where the spiritual comes in. Um, and then the third thing that came up for me um, uh, it's colonialism. Yeah, <laughs> of course, that later. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. Because colonialism is rooted in self, right? And self, self-interest, self-preservation, um, and at all costs, right? Um, which is why I actually love that we are talking about this question because for this, for this exact, these exact friction points, um, you know, like the work that I do with folks, you know, largely folks of color, uh, queer folks, um, individuals we'll say from marginalized communities and identities in this society, right? Um, don't ever get the opportunity to focus on self, right? Because we are, you know, I, I talk about like labor is um, by, by the fundamental nature of the society, labor is what we are oriented towards. Everyone is a laborer. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy or not. The type of labor you do may shift or change for sure, but everyone is 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 laboring, and um, we're you know particularly as a black woman, I would say like you know the enslavement of black people in this country was like the utmost definition of labor, even if it was deeply like toxic and violent, right? Um, and so we have never, as a people, been given space or even asked or oriented towards this notion of what do I need. And how do I really take care of myself so that I am whole and healthy and um, can actually live a life that lends itself to abundance and thriving and possibility? And so, you know, that's this friction, right? Like, how do you create space to take care of yourself and nurture and love and feel and not feel guilty about it, but also not at the expense of others and not in a way that supports or props up colonial mindsets patriarchal mindsets, capitalist mindsets, white supremacist mindsets, right? All of those things that we also are kind of in constant tension with. Oh, I'm so glad you provided that clarity because, um, you know, I went to uh, services and I uh, realized that being uh, at a really BIPOC um, service, and I'm not Christian, but I was like, great, this is amazing. Um, it's this language of like service to self in um, with those who have been oppressed versus those are, who are the oppressors makes a huge difference, right? right like right. So when you when you look at like the lens of Christianity, I was like, ah, oh, I have an aversion to Christianity, but I'm like, actually, maybe I don't. It's not the Christianity pet; it's the how it's been weaponized. Mm -hmm. And so when I even hear this question and how you've like really gracefully articulated it. I think it's important to recognize that so much of, um, especially for the marginalized, I think that this is a question that really gets to the heart of 
our own internalized racism, our own internalized white supremacy, um, that we're like only see ourselves in terms of the value that we provide to another, someone else who's trying to just take from us and pull from us yes. as if they can't see our humanity in it. And yeah. it's in like every little edifice of like, even our little questions of like, hey, what have you been up to? It's mm-hmm. not even about who you are, it's about what you've been doing. Right, right. right. Um, and like, you know, when people ask like, oh, what do you do? I mean, that is such an American thing to ask. Like, okay. um, right. like you could ask me about anything else, but like right. it is the most commonplace thing. And it's because we are so embedded in this um, culture that only sees our value through what people, other people value out of us. Yeah. And what they can get from us, what they can extract from us. And, and I love it because I love what you said earlier. I mean, I love, I love everything you say, but like, I love what you said about the rest, the restoration of humanity or humanity. Right. I mean, I think that's when I thought of this question as something for us to hold today, that is exactly it is there's this opportunity to say to folks who are traditionally oppressed in this society or marginalized in the society that your humanity matters and attention to your humanity and care for your own humanity is vital. And it's, it's a right of ours in this lifetime to take space up and consider that and to, to develop that and to care for that. Right. But there's no signal in the, this world we live in that would ever say, Hey, you should do this for yourself. You should take this time for yourself. You should contemplate this for yourself. You should give this gift to yourself, you know? You know, I think it's so interesting how big the wellness industry is. And I think you've mentioned this before to me, like, um, and especially that we call it even an industry, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's a multi-billion, if not trillion dollar industry. Um, but so much of that, again, is feeding this, like, and instead of critiquing it as an industry, um, Compassionately, I think I, um, I, I grieve the hunger that people are trying to fill. Like there's clearly some kind of um, hole or gap or, or, or something, right? That leads us to um, a lot of really um, capitalist ways of kind of trying to fill that void, right? Through consumerism, through um, spiritual tourism, through like a whole bunch of things that I think sometimes like, uh, and I don't want to say that I don't want people to be well, I absolutely want people to be well, but without boundaries to kind of remind ourselves of like the relationships that we're trying to cultivate. And then maybe this is why I kind of thought about it through that spiritual or spiritual care aspect. It's like, well, for us to operate in service to self, I think is also about operating in service to higher purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I, maybe I just don't make that distinction between self and purpose and relationship. Um, but you're right. I think healing one's own relationship to self requires also healing one's own relationships to everything around us, our earth, our planet, our, um, our loved ones. Um, I mean, I think it's about kind of diffusing the, the loaded space of exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. Who are we trying to prove to and for right. what? Right. And so much of that is so embedded in white supremacy culture. Yeah. Right? Like at some point my friend um Priscilla was like, I just want to like embrace mediocrity. 
But I'm right. like, even at that, I'm just right. like, right. she's like, uh, you know, I don't want to, um, you know, she's Ghanaian, she's from London, uh, she's uh, exceptional by all accounts, but I am also kind of like, you're right, like, <laughs> what, like, you've done so much, your resume is like so stacked, um, and she feels so depleted, yeah. right? And, and in some ways, like, there's never enough to fill that, and I'm like, but why? Like, because by all other accounts, you're exceptional. Right. Um, and what's in that? And again, I'm like, oh, because you're playing in a game mm-hmm. that's determined um, by people who do not nourish you. Right. They give back to you, right? They can give you right. degrees and they can give you like accolades, but that's not enough. Like clearly there's some, there's some kind of disconnect. And I think those feelings mm-hmm. of depletion are so necessary to listen to, right? Yeah. It's like, no matter how... Um, high up the food chain or, you know, whatever it is that you are, you feel fundamentally depleted, then there's clearly something that's not nourishing you. Like, right. Our, our diet for achievement is, um, is mispositioned. Right. And it's because at the end of the day, all of these things are exploitative. Yeah. Like you went up the chain and you did, you had all the successes you're supposed to have, but like it's really in service of these other institutions, even the academic institutions oftentimes, right? They get to say, well, look at these students we have and look at the things we've done and that they've done, right? And they give you crumbs along the way that keep you chewing at them, but ultimately your belly's empty, right? You're still starving, right? Because it's the soul, the the connection, the spirituality, the self is not a part of this. You're not actually determining, you're just doing. You're just moving through. You're not always making the conscious choice for self and deciding with like reflection, this is what I choose to do because this serves me, right? Like we just react, we just do. And then we realize one day that we've been doing and reacting and maybe we've built this like beautiful outward life, but it's soul empty, right? It's humanity. Well, I mean, I think even in service itself, it's like, when did we stop trusting ourselves? Like, when did we, um, uh, well, it's interesting, like in um, this kind of paradigm or or maybe just like a little bit of a shift that that I think we're kind of coming around to where we're starting to try to listen to our somatic selves, right, Mm -hmm. again. But it's like, but when did we lose that? When when did we think we had to find this in scripture or have somebody else interpret our dreams or have somebody else tell us that somehow that relationship that we have to the divine does not exist? Right. right. Like, oh, no, no, no. You must have like kind of hallucinated that now that like that, you know, we're trying to like codify this into some other explanation. It's like maybe you are feeling something like cherished and divine. And we but we right. second guess. it. We're like, right. nope, nope, that's not what it was. Why? Right. Because, because it doesn't marry with like how I could explain it or have it valued by someone else. That's it. And the systems, white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, they don't want you to be focused on self that or, or, or listen to self and trust self and have faith in self because you would be too powerful. You would question the things that are being offered up to you and be like, these are crumbs. Why would I settle for this? This isn't serve me. This doesn't fill my belly, right? So instead, the system engineers it so that we are constantly looking for external like validation, right? We get grades in school, right? We get all of these things that are rewarding us outward in, right? So we constantly are looking for validation and awards and recognition and um, accolades from everyone else. as as indicators that we are doing the right thing, that we're on the right path, 
right? So the system is engineered, I think, very intentionally to to like thwart self, to thwart the voices, right? And, you know, it's the same with like head over everything. We don't listen to our guts. We don't listen to our intuition. We don't listen to the signals that come from our hearts and our guts as value data. We see that as like, you know, just butterflies in our stomach or, you know, emotions versus real data that's guiding us and telling us like, here's where you should be considering look over there. You know, what about that? Like, you know, more than you think, right? There's no, there's no reward for, for that level of alignment or connection, right? Outside. So so where would we, why would we ever have? I mean, I think you're speaking to, I mean, there's a word for it. It's soul sucking. How do we do it? Right. That's what I, that's what I keep coming back to is like, how do we start pointing inward to self in a way that actually is rewarding and generative and enabling of of us of our souls to be reclaimed of our lives to be ours right for us to start the revolutionary act of operating in service of self when everything around us is wire, hardwired to prevent us from doing so it's like how do you do that? How do you start to build that practice? That's the thing that comes for me now, right? Like, I mean, part of it, I think, is listening to the pain. You know, mm. my father shared with me, it's like pain is a necessary part of the human body. It, mm. Like that part of our nervous system tells us when something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, a, he's an oncologist um, and... He's like, we need to, we need to feel pain and we need to be able to sit in that discomfort of trying to understand that pain. Mm-hmm. Otherwise there's no way you can treat it or tend to it or, um, and not all pains can entirely go away, right? At some point there's just some things that we have to learn to live with. Mm-hmm. Again, we keep trying to take medicine for things, um, diagnose it, change it. Um, and sometimes we just need to actually just learn how to listen to it, mm-hmm. sit with it to be with it. Um, we're not a society, I think, that likes being uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And um, in terms of like trying to find like a loving and compassionate way, it's like trying to sit with the pain and then trying to lovingly and compassionately embrace it and be like, okay, you're a part of me. Yeah. Now I have to listen to you before I just try to take a pain reliever. Like now I need to like understand what this is. And um, and I'm, I'm speaking more metaphorically because I'm thinking more about like the emotional grief. Yeah. Like, what is it that's like um, in our psyches? They were like, I don't want this anymore. Like, why would we fight it so hard? Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it for me, at least it's, it's required a lot of contemplative practice. Right? Yeah. I sit with it. Um, I've had to like go on Vipassanas and just be with it um, and cry it out. And be okay with like being really, like you know, being messy and snotty and like you know, flushing. Right, right, right. There's a but there's a truth in it. Like there's a truth in the pain that I think sometimes we deny ourselves from seeing or believing or wanting to be there. Yeah. Well, and and it's interesting too because I think again going back to when you're talking about oppressed, marginalized folks, however that lands. we are actually very used to pain in this metaphoric way because we're used to holding the discomfort and the pain of other folks. Because Mm -hmm. in order for us to show up in a space, we have to understand how someone else is receiving us 
and hold their discomfort so that we can exist in that space, right? And so we actually are really good at working through and living through discomfort in every aspect of our lives. And so I think that the beauty in this work, even if it's scary, is, well, what if you actually were able to just hold the discomfort for yourself? To do what you do for everyone else and holding space for their comfort and working through their discomfort and you changing and modulating and bending yourself for them, what if you actually just invested that energy into you and spend time understanding your discomfort and your pain and holding it and working through it so that you could come through the other side and thrive and exist, right? Like that's beautifully put. It really is. Cause you're right. So much of it is like, Oh, we show up for others. Yeah. And then, um, their discomfort with our feelings. We're like, Oh, okay. Then I have to withhold my feelings. Like I need to somehow articulate this differently. And that's like such a part of just navigating everybody else's emotions, but your own. Yeah. Um, and so it's so interesting when people are like, oh, Jen, you're really even keeled. And like, you just always seem really grounded and level. I'm like, no, I'm internally freaking out, but I don't, I don't think you're going to handle it well. Right, so right. I was self-modulated right. to like be right. legible to you, right. but don't mistake my like perceived calmness. Like that's the projection you're placing onto me. Yes. I, yes. I'm aggrieved. Right. <laughs> like, I'm, right. I'm, not okay with this but um dare i like i don't know get out of your own respectability sensibilities uh and be like oh this is not okay with me then they're like oh why are you so upset <laughs> right right now all of a sudden you're like the you know black angry woman or i'm the black angry woman right i mean but that's the thing right it's like there's this thing where we are so afraid of this contemplative work that you talk about because it feels like a slippery slope or like, oh my God, I'm going to start crying. I'm never going to stop crying. And I'm just going to be down this black hole. And it's like, no, but actually you're not giving yourself enough credit and honoring these skills that you have in being able to navigate these really uncomfortable moments that others are imposing on you, right? And holding space and holding their emotions and their needs and their whatevers to make this space work, right? You are doing all of this labor for others. And you have to, tools to do this labor, right? Just show up like this calm and even keeled person and to really dig and explore their emotions and what they're feeling in a way that allows you to like move past their emotions and move through their emotions and get to the other side. So it's like you could take all of those tools and skills and apply them inward. And you wouldn't just devolve into this puddle. You wouldn't just go down a death spiral of like tears and sadness, right? You would be able to with, with tools, I think we could contemplate in a way that helps us get to the other side of something really quite beautiful, which is a deeper yeah. sense of care for self. Yeah, but I also think it's valuable to do it in community too, if you have access to it, right? Or even to like get a spiritual director, or get a coach, whatever it might be. But like it's, um, for me, you know, like when I do Vipassana, I don't just do it by myself. <laughs> I'm sitting in a room with like a bunch of other people and we're sitting completely silent but I still feel spiritually held. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's important to allow ourselves the opportunity for other people to tend to our needs. There's something so beautiful about going on meditation retreat or um, being held by my spiritual director uh, or, or spiritual accompaniment um, to know that like my, that I'm being tended to Mm -hmm. and that they're feeding me, that they're holding me, that like, if I, if I really feel like I'm, I'm going down a dark path and I'm like, okay, there's other people who can um, help me through that. Yeah. We, we're not meant to do it alone entirely. Yeah. 
Um, I actually think that part of it is tied to, um, yeah, again, this individual selfie culture that we have, especially around wellness, but also around mental health care. It's a little bit isolating. It's, um, and I'm not saying that I don't believe in mental health care. Like I absolutely think it's wonderful, but I think there's certain modalities of it that suit some and not others. Um, and for me, I think I've started to lean into um, things that feel a little more hybrid for me. There was a really amazing um, podcast that my uh, that my housemate shared with me uh, from a from a Jewish woman who was a trained psychologist, then became a chaplain, then became a spiritual director, uh, and she was saying like psych. Psychological care, mental health care, Western mental health care is really focused on um, what you can diagnose mm-hmm. and the things you want to change, right? Mm-hmm. So it's about, hey, I've diagnosed this thing. I think it's a problem. Therefore, I need to change it and I will work towards changing it. Mm-hmm. Um, what I appreciate about like Chaplin's pastoral care is the way she described it was these are the things that maybe you cannot change and you need to find a way to like accept or come to terms with or change your relationship to. Um, but you're not going to cheat death. And if you have a serious illness, you may not entirely be able to treat it. Um, but there's ancient wisdom that tells us that we will be okay through it, right? That people have lived through millennia um, with ailments and, uh, and then a lot of it is like coming to peace. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, spiritual direction is really about how it is that you want to uh, embrace a more like spiritual spiritual life going forward, how you want to structure that. But um, but I appreciate that pastoral pastoral care piece. Mm-hmm. And for me, the service to self is finding people who can hold that for me, co- like help me, coach me into it. Um, and know that if I feel like the fallout, if I feel like my foundation starting to cave, cave, like that they're there to be like, nope, like I'm here to pick you up. Like I'm here to uplift you yeah. out of that. You're not going to free fall. Yeah. Um, and, and that's needed. I think I've often been resistant to asking for that kind of help. Mm, Not like yeah. a little bit too like, uh, like hippie woo, like out there. And, and also, I, I don't think I knew how to ask for it, honestly. It's just not a part of our... Like, our society, right? Like yeah. it, you don't want to be needy, a burden, right? We put all those labels on, right? Like I don't be whiny. I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer. I don't want to burden other people whose lives are heavy and hard, right? Like I got to figure this out, pull myself up by my bootstraps, do it on my own, right? So I love this notion of like turning inward and focusing on self through community, right? Like, so my, my friend, Rachel, who I consider one of my co-conspirators, like she shared this like st- analogy, which I know is not hers, but I can't remember who she got it from. But it's like this idea that we walk through life holding a flashlight, right? And the flashlight enables us to see, you know, just in front of us enough. So we're like, you know, feel good. We can see, we won't stumble. We can keep moving forward. Um, but when you're in community and we all have our flash- flashlights, we can sometimes turn our flashlights towards you. So now you can see more, right? You can see further. You can see things you wouldn't have been able to see otherwise, but because we're all there with you flashing our flashlights on your path, you have more visibility, right? And that's, I think for me, so beautiful because it just like sums up like the value of like in the in the journey of being focused on self, you're still focused on your journey and your path. You just have more people around you shining their light on you so that you can see further and see things you wouldn't see otherwise, right? And you're supported in a way you wouldn't be otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. And I just find that so beautiful, right? And so hopeful. Like, yes, I want 
to do that. I want people to do that for me and I want to do that for others. Yeah, it's very um, you know, emblematic of what we're really talking about, where you're you're battling with the fact of like you're doing something and you're constantly fighting against yourself to not do it. In this next conversation, I'm joined by Jesse Burdick, one of the Bay Area's most sought after strength and conditioning coaches. He might just also happen to be my lifting coach, and I'm lucky to call him friend. Together we explore how physical rituals can help us hold space for a contemplative journey inward. And it brought up a lot of like good advice that I got um, from some people I can remember, some I can't, uh, which is actually kind of interesting and cool um, about how to, you know, I think in your kind of description of everything about um, giving myself some time um, and not feeling selfish about it and actually forcing myself to be selfish about it. Um, and there's always a battle because I really do feel like I am a person of service. Um, and I really love doing that. Um, and you know, I love being a dad and I love being a husband. And these are things that really define who I am as a person. But a long time ago, I figured out like, I can't kid myself, you know, there's a, there's a pendulum and then I can swing over here, but I got to swing back. So I don't kind of go past an edge. So time to myself is, um, is an important thing for me. And, um, Katie knows it. Um, you know, I, I, I intrinsically, I think the girls know it. Um, and people around me kind of know it and they know I just need a little bit of time and then I'm back and I'm good. Um, so, you know, it brought up a lot of, thoughts and um, advice and just situations where, you know, I would have to remind myself like, Hey, in order to be the best service to others, I have to be the best me. And it's a really, really hard balance. And it's one that I think everybody and very specifically me, I, I battle with all day long, every day. Yeah. But I appreciate about you though, like what you're talking about. And I know we can unpack like getting, getting to this place where we're able to do this for ourselves. But I appreciate like the little things you do, like on Instagram, when you are in your cold plunge and mm. you show that every day, right? Like that's you taking care of yourself. Um, but also modeling to others, like this is a necessary part of the process of life. Right. And, um, you know, so, and you know, you're silly with your rubber ducky, but you know, <laughs> it's still, it's still really powerful because I think that, um, we need we need representation of what being in service of self looks like so we can then model it for ourselves right so yeah and i think something that also struck me when you're talking about the explosion of kind of the self help industry whether that is creams face masks massages all those other things right when we really look at it and we really get down to what do they all have in common what's the common denominator and it's you doing something for yourself, me being in the cold plunge for about five minutes, me being in the sauna for a half an hour, me going to get a massage, me just going on a walk and listening to a book or listening to some music, you know, which, you know, that I get to pick, which I never do. Um, or, you know, every once in a while watching, you know, a show or something that I want to watch, you know, these are all things and all conscious decisions that I have to make um, in, in order to it be for me, but the common denominator and all the self-help stuff, all the stuff is just allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to, um, to, to be, you know, in a lack of a better word, selfish. 
you know, the first like 20 seconds of my cold plunge, you know, I'm hyperventilating because it's 30 degrees. Uh, but after that, I'm really trying to just let myself go, let my mind go wherever it kind of wants to. And it's really surprising. It's never in the same place. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, about anything and everything sometimes like, Oh wait, did I remember to text Jen? It's like, Oh, I forgot. You know, it just let it, just let, you know, my mind kind of be free and let it go. Um, uh, so I actively try to do that. What's really, really interesting about like really extreme things like a cold plunge or a sauna is your mind gets in the way. Yeah. And that's a really cool battle for me because, because I know it's, it's, it's a good thing and it's going to be a positive thing where my mind is like, get the fuck out of this cold tub. What is wrong with you? And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's cool, man. We're good. We're good. Mm -hmm. Take a couple of deep breaths and just check in, check in. You're fine. You've done this before. This isn't a big deal. And the same thing in the sauna where you're like, how much longer do I have to be in here? And then you're like, no, no, this is, this is for you. This is what you want to do. And it's very, um, you know, emblematic of what we're really talking about where you're, you're battling with the fact of like, you're doing something and you're constantly fighting against yourself to not do it, whether yeah. that's because it's, you know, 180 degree sauna or a 30 degree cold plunge. And I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a battle uh, all the time. So it, it, it's a, it's a check-in process to where I'm just trying to let myself forget that I'm in a cold plunge or in a sauna or whatever it is, and just let myself kind of wander or get, you know, I mean, for me, I, I like to listen to books as we talked about all the time. Um, you know, having a, having a book in and just kind of getting lost in, you know, I'll, I'll have to put on, you know, some fiction and kind of just get lost in that in a, in a different world. And uh, that tends to help out a lot too, or it, it makes sense to just kind of let my, let my brain go. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, I love, I love it because I think that so often we're always um, talking about, you know, mind over everything else, right. Your mind. Right through your mind. Right. But, and particularly in the physical space, like in the gym, in the sports, whatever, we're always like, your mind can convince your body to do anything. Right. Right. But what I love about what you're saying is, is kind of a flip on that, which is your body, you're holding space for your body to actually like do what it wants. And you're helping your mind understand it's okay to let go. Right. And so it's, it's building a trust with the other parts of self that so often don't get a chance to have a voice yes. right? because your mind is such a strong voice, right? Your mind is the leading archetype or architect of your life, right? That it is the one that is like, gets you up when you don't want to, to get up, right? It's yes. the one that pushes you forward and compels you when you don't feel you have any left, anything left to give. Um, oftentimes at the expense of our body, at the expense of our hearts, at the expense of our intuition or gut, we, we just do because our mind says so. And I think when people start this process and start a practice for themselves one way or the other, I know there's very intentional practices and there's unintentional practices. And I think what we're talking about is more of an unintentional practice and let your mind kind of go where, you know, I'm not going to get into the sauna and be like, I'm going to focus on dealing with my relationship with Jen. Right. And just let my mind, it's just like, Hey, just let it, let it rip. Let's see what happens and we'll deal with whatever comes up. And I think there's room for both of those absolutely, intentional and unintentional. If like that, those are, you know, proper terminology. Uh, but I prefer kind of the unintentional. So, because for me, 
the other little stuff kind of builds up where the other stuff I, you know, we can, we can chat about whatever we can talk about whatever in the moment. And I, I try to be good about that and not let, you know, um, something like that build up, but it's the other little things where I'm just like, man, they just didn't get me my coffee fast enough. It's like, stop being such a bougie dick. (laughs) Right. But I, but I do think there's value in, in using the frame you say like the intentional and unintentional, I think, um, because sometimes the intentional things can feel really big. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, and not easy to like, tackle or not easy to examine, um, or even like you're afraid of it, right? Like I'm afraid of examining this big thing. Like if I start picking at it or opening it up, like how will I actually like pull myself out of it? And I'm just going to be consumed by it. But the beauty that I love about like using physical rituals as a way of like holding space to, to get connected to self is that it's bounded, right? Like you're only in the cold plunge for what, five minutes, right? Like at, at max. Yeah. That's right. So like, it's like, you could say, Hey, today during my time in the plunge, this is the thing I'm going to think about, right? Like why, why am I such a, you know, why do I fly off the handle so easily when so-and-so says something to me or why do I always have to bite my tongue when, you know, I'm in these situations? Like what's going on in me that's causing me to react this way? Why am I so triggered to them? Why am I so reactive? Like that could be something you just consider for that five minutes, right? Yeah. Like, and then you get out and you're like, okay, well, we'll come back to that later. You may not have solved it, but you're right. like, it's bookended, right? Like, so you don't have to continue thinking about it after you get out of the cold plunge. You're like, that was Great. I did some work. I did right. some, like, I, it was like lifting. I'm not competing every day, but I am practicing. Right. And so like, that is a moment of practice. Well, well defined, defined and bound. I, I'm thinking though, like for you, like, so, cause I know, I know a little bit about you, <laughs> you know, so you were a single dad for so long with two twin girls and, yeah. you know, you know, sitting at a little tight table, eating breakfast with them as your primary table. Like you, yes. Like, you know, you weren't always in the chamber, you know, floating in space, like living a little yes. bougie life, worrying about where we're talking, <laughs> right? Like, so like how, you know, because I think people s- want to say like, well, life is, is fucking hard. And like, like, I don't have time to, you know, take care of self. That feels like a luxury that is beyond my reach, right? And, you know, so I'm curious for you, like, how did you, how did you start that early practice and and hold on to it and, and do it, even though, you know, you had so many demands on you raising two girls by yourself, you know, entrepreneur always, right. Like trying to make it work. It, you know, I've been incredibly lucky, uh, to surround myself with really great people. And, um, when I was really kind of going through things and, you know, uh, when my wife left me with the girls and I had all the things kind of, kind of happening, you know, I, I reached out to a friend and, uh, it was kind of a friend of a friend. It was just someone that I, um, would call an acquaintance. And, um, and I know he had kind of been through, um, some shit lately or during, during that time. And I was like, Hey man, if you ever have a chance to like, you know, shoot me an article or a book or something, you know, I'm kind of going through it. And he, and he called me like 30 seconds later and I was like, Oh, Hey, what's up? He's like, what's going on? And talk to him about it. He was just like, when's the last time you lifted? I was like, uh, I don't know, like two weeks ago. He goes, when's the last time you had a steak? I was like, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. He was asking me these things where I was like, bro, you don't understand. Like I, 
I, I haven't slept in four days. It's like, mm-hmm. I got to go to court. I have all this other stuff. I had to lever, you know, I had empty all my bank accounts and all of my, you know, investments to try to pay for this lawyer. Like I am battling for my kids. I'm trying to figure life out. Like, do I got to move back home? Like, what am I doing? And you're talking about this small shit. What is wrong with you? And somewhere in there in the conversation, because I can't remember it exactly. He was like, listen to me. If you don't take care of yourself, you're never going to get to take care of your kids. And I was like, oh, shit. He's like, go to the gym, lift hard, play the loudest, craziest metal that you can. Go home, just binge on whatever food that you want. Feel good. When you feel good, you're going to be able to operate good. And um, it was a situation that was a really, really powerful conversation for me. I can tell you exactly where I was. I can tell you what I was wearing. I can tell you everything about it because I remember it so vividly. And I remember it hitting me so hard. He's like, look, this is going to sound like you're going to be a dick and you're taking time away from your kids and away from all the things that you really feel like you need to have to absolutely have to take care of. But if, if you don't, this isn't going to last. You can't last like this. He's like, how much weight have you lost? I was like, I've lost 15 pounds. He goes, unacceptable. He goes, you, you need to put on that 15 pounds in the next week. He goes, I'm going to check in with you in three days. You got three days to start to take care of this. I was like, okay. And you know, I, I went to the gym, I lifted and it was, (laughs) this is an experience that I've never had because, um, lifting for me, I just love it. And it's, it's just something that I kind of feel that I have to do. But but I've heard other people have experiences like this, but I was lifting and I just started crying. Like, not like, (sighs) like ugly, bawling, fucking like crying my eyes out and like snot running, just gross, ugly cry. And I just let it happen. And I finished my workout and like, I looked like I got punched in the face a bunch of times. Um, but it was probably, if I could point to one time in my life, like the most cathartic um, moment ever, because I went in there and I just let things happen. And there was a lot of stuff that, you know, like I wasn't able to deal with. I mean, I, I wasn't even feeding myself, right? Let alone trying to, you know, deal with some emotions and deal with some really dark shit that was going on. Um, and I just let it happen. One of his taglines is words win. Right. Words with. So you use the word even in describing your practice now as being selfish. Mm. I think that you have to reframe that, right? Because it's being focused on self or being centered on self. Because I looked it up, right? Selfish is lacking consideration for others, concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. And that's not what we're talking about, right? (laughs) Right. Even though we're, even though your actions and your you're aligned to a positive sense of self here, like using that word selfish is like still like an undermining word in like how we frame this, right? And um, and what I love about there's so much I love about what you shared, but the first thing that came to me was just like, you know, go lift, you know, get a steak, right? When I'm working with folks, every time like I'm talking about, you know, like taking on new rituals and taking on new practices and their instincts are like, Oh, I've got to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro now. And I'm right. like, no, like, like loving yourself would be remembering to drink the water that you, you said you wanted to drink the amount of yeah. water today. Right. Or like yeah. eating a steak or going and lifting, like doing something small that 
feels really hard to do because it means thinking of you before you do the other thing yeah. is significant, right? It so, is. So like, you know, centering self and focusing on self doesn't have to be this grand overture, this grand act, right? Yep. And um, so I, I really love that that's how that started for you. And I love the fact that you reached out to someone, you know, I, I shared this in the other conversation I had around this question, but I just really love this idea that we are all carrying a flashlight through life that allows mm-hmm. us to see things in he- ahead of us. And that when we are in community, it's other people taking their flashlights and shining it on your path yeah. so that you can see further. Right. And so yeah. like having community to see, you know, to have better light. I mean, you were literally in that moment, like smacking your flashlight because it was going out of battery, right? Yeah. Like, you were like trying to make it work and you didn't have batteries and someone came and shone their light on you. And that is you know, really beautiful and necessary. I mean, when we talk about focusing on self, I think that for people who are in service of others, it sounds like we're saying, be selfish, you know, don't worry about others. You are primary now um, and just do your own thing. But that's not what this is, right? Right, right. Yeah. And I, I I, hear you and you're right. I probably need a better word, but I feel like I've defined selfish because mm. I like being selfish. Mm. I know I have to be selfish. And I think other people don't, you know, they don't quite understand it, but they can understand the concept of being selfish. I think everybody can be, you know, understand the concept of selfishness. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's, you know, you know, I think people who would look at me and know who I am are like, no, you're not super right. selfish. Like, right. but it was like, but no, I am. I'm, you know, I'm, there are times where I am not going to pick up the phone. I am not going to text you back. I am done. Like when I'm done at the gym, I'm coming back to put my baby to bed. You know, I'm putting her to, to, to a nap and then I have other stuff to do. And, you know, unless it's a huge deal, I'm just not going to deal with it. Um, So, I mean, there are parameters and there are um, boundaries, you know, that, you know, need to be set. And I guess I just don't know a better word. Uh, no, but but it's a, it's an interesting. It's because you're you're using it as a sort of stark juxtaposition against like how people are used to engaging with you because you are so um, open and loving and caring and like you receive and hold everyone so much. Like you're kind of making it an intentional signal of like, no, I'm my boundary is here. I am holding this line for myself. And, and, and unless it really is like house on fire, kids are, you know, wife, you know, like, like, you know, catastrophic type shit. Like I am actually prioritizing myself over everything else and whatever I decide I want to focus on. Right. So that it's like taking care of BB and putting her down is an act of service to self because it's me laying with my daughter and having that moment and filling my heart. Right. And so like, those are, those are things that are really important. Um, and, and and it's important to 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 remind ourselves of that. So I love that. I mean, and it's a good signal. It's a good way of being like, oh, I'm 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 serious. It's one of those things where you have to understand it is a process, and you might get, um, like I remember again very very vividly having to go through um, court proceedings and all this other stuff with the girls and custody issues and. Um, my lawyer is like, listen to me, we are going to get our ass kicked today. And I was like, what? I was like, the fuck am I paying you for? He goes, just, hey, listen, just listen to me. This is the process. We are going to get absolutely 
crushed and thrown out of the court today. The next time we come back, it's going to be a little bit better. The next time we come back, it's going to be a little bit better. The fourth time we get back here, you will get whatever you want. As long as you stick to this plan, you stick to your line and you do what we have set out for you to do. And I mean, anyone who understands anything about court proceedings, you know, that wasn't a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday thing. That was like Tuesday and then two Tuesdays and then two more Tuesdays and then two more Tuesdays. So, I mean, it took, you know, what felt like six years of getting my ass kicked, but it was probably like three or four months or whatever it was, but they were exactly correct where, you know, you got to kind of take a little bit of medicine on, you know, and, and understand like, Hey, it's not going to work right away. And that's cool. That's all right. I mean, sometimes maybe it would have. Right. And in my situation, you know, I think you set out like the fourth or fifth court date by the third, we were, we were where we wanted to be because I was extremely diligent about, he's like, you cannot react. You need to sit there with a smile on your face and just talk about how much you love your kids and what you're doing for them. And that you think this is the best for them and blah, 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 blah. I was like, okay, man. And we stuck to the, stuck to the plan. And, you know, again, very lucky to have great people who are around me, you know, the, the right thing ended up happening, but you know, it'll, it's going to take a while for you to figure out what works for you mm-hmm. and that's okay. Even just being there, being in whatever modality that you want is it's helping you. It's getting you there. And I think that that's a very hard thing because people want, you know, serenity now, you know, they want clarity immediately and they want the thing. And it's just like, Hey man, it's going to take a while. And, you know, um, we talk about this all the time with lifting and with, you know, physical therapy and injuries. It's like, this is stuff that you have to do. There's stuff that you're going to have to do every day now for the rest of your life, for your shoulder, not to hurt. And if you're not willing to do that, your shoulder's going to hurt. And yeah. you just have to deal with it. Well, and that's and that's right. And so the, the the sort of practice or journey to be inward and self selfish, right, is <laughs> is um a life's work, a life's yeah. practice because life comes at you hard always, right? Like yes. like so you have your girls and that's great, but then now there's a new thing, right? Like you know, I, I'm thinking of as we're talking of our friend we have in common who is you know relentless entrepreneur and like yes. you know, he's building amazing things for this world and his that's not, the the challenges that will come to him are always going to be coming to him because his 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 success his achievements his business his whatever his vision is going to continue to go forward yeah so you're going to always have things thrown at you but this thing is you're the common denominator like right. you're the one that's always there through it all and if you're not building a life's work of practice that does ensure you're selfish then this world will kick the shit out of you. Yeah. Every time you show up at court, right? Like, yeah, right. Time, right? Yeah. Like, whether it's a court or a basketball court right. or whatever, whatever court the that court it is. of life, right? Like, yeah. whatever yes. it is, right? Yes. Like, so, so we have to, and, and I don't want to make it sound like it's just in order to survive, because I actually think that through a really thoughtful and beautiful practice of being selfish you thrive in, in life yes, because you're able to see it for what it is and not let it just beat you. You're like, actually, you don't have this power over me. Actually, I am in this process. Like your lawyer laid out, like this is the journey. And on the other side of that, this is what will happen. And I know that that's where we're headed. So I encounter these moments of attempted beatings in a way that is like the Neo moment, right? Where you're like, right. 
you you moving the bullets out of the way, right? Like you can't shoot me. You can't get to me because I see this for what it is and because I am anchored and rooted in self and I am healthy and whole and thriving, right? So there's there's a power in our ability to to navigate what comes, you know, when we are coming from this selfish place. I say this, and I know that it comes with a tad bit of controversy, but say it. I I do pay attention to how people treat themselves. Mm. And last, but certainly not least, I welcome the homie Anthony Cobb, a people leader, entrepreneur, and philosopher. We close this practice of pondering by exploring what can happen to us in a society that will have you looking every which way but inward. I think sometimes we have allowed what selfishness has become, right? That center, narcissistic way of interpreting it to then dismiss the need that sometimes you absolutely have to become that way if you want to live. It's so fascinating. So in the last conversation that I had, this word selfishness, selfish, right? Being selfish came up as a as a as a uh, conversation point because Jesse was using it very intentionally because I had the reaction like, well, we're not talking about being selfish. Selfish means at the expense of others, and you know, our putting ourselves, our pleasure, our our you know reward ahead of others. And his response, I thought, was brilliant. Was like, no, actually, I'm using this word intentionally because. Um, I need this to serve as a signal, a boundary that like, I have to put myself first. I can't actually continue to put everyone else ahead of me because if I do that, then I'm compromised and I'm not whole, I'm not thriving, I'm not healthy. So I need a selfish moment, a selfish act because it needs to be in service of me. So unless it's catastrophic, unless it's like family, you know, kids, wife, whatever, I'm Mm -hmm. saying, no, you don't get me. I'm being selfish. And I love that reframing of this notion that selfishness isn't necessarily a bad thing um, when we have it in this context. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, when I think about the little moment of the commercial world was trying to come out of whatever COVID clouded and and the, the work world was like, the great resignation is happening. And you had many people trying to narrate that, oh, well, these people are just lazy, right? They they started working from home and had on comfy, cozy clothes and don't want to put on structured wares anymore and wear regular people's shoes and like all of these absurd responses. And I was like, well, what, what if the fact is they realized that the bamboozling of how work was structured and forced upon them, they were like, look, I'll make accommodations to live because I'd much rather no longer be connected to that matrix. Right. Right. And I said, what happens if the need to work in a different construct has more to do with clarity, restoration, and productivity as people have identified it for themselves 
versus these control narratives of lazy, you don't want like, oh, wait a minute. Can I be okay with saying this is what really drives my best? And what's wrong with us having a negotiation to say, like, if we partner in, in this work employment relationship, can I have some autonomy that allows for me to have that selfishness? No, I'm not saying to you that it's an always on or always off, but we've got to be able to meet in the middle because I can give you greater, mm -hmm. right? I, I, what do we always say? You can't pour from an empty pitcher. Right. And so the selfishness to me is saying, I actually am sub-optimizing my contribution to the world when I don't, to your point about God, stop and reflect mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as my rest on my Sabbath. Yep. Yep. And and I love the, the supporting back to like the pandemic, because I've often said like in this work I do with folks, you know, boundaries has been such a huge theme this year. Like everybody is talking about their boundaries and formulating boundaries and what does that mean and how do you do it in a way that builds builds closeness to folks and understanding and feeling respect and valued versus like creating defensiveness and rejection right and and I'm like why all of a sudden are we talking about boundaries and and my sense is exactly what you're saying which is during the pandemic we were like locked up in our houses and we didn't have to deal with people we didn't want to deal with. We had, we had firm boundaries, like living with our houses. We had virtual boundaries because we were like working out of zoom, right? We didn't have to see people. Um, we got to choose very explicitly like who we engaged with and didn't. And we had an excuse and then the world opened back up and then everybody just came in hot. Right. Like, hey, I want to do it. And we were like, whoa, simmer the fuck down, man. Like I like yeah, to yeah. make sourdough bread or like I like to knit. Yeah. I've, I've developed things that I like. I realized how much I was expending of myself in service of these things that weren't in service of me. And I want to protect these things. And right. so right. and so I think that naturally we're feeling this energy of like myself matters. And like, I want to ensure that I can take care of myself because, you know, it felt actually kind of good. It felt good yeah. to be on that Peloton yeah. regularly. It felt good to like be able to read or to journal or to have hobbies. It felt good to like sit outside during the day while I was working and feel the sun on my skin, right? It felt good to actually realize there's more to life than just commuting and sitting in an office and then commuting and then trying to have some semblance of, of life at home with my family at night. Problem that we have, and the reason why people are burned out and why you can make a ton of money and have all of the trappings that anybody could ever want, and you're exhausted, is because your soul is looking for something. It's validating off this is good, off of something that ain't connected in the spiritual realm. But when people are for real dialed in and can say, like, it is good. I might be a fisherman who has a day job of going to just catch enough for my family to eat. And because they're covered and we all together under one roof, it is good. Mm -hmm. So my declaration of it is good is always operating on two different frequencies, right? One is, yo, I got them new Lubus, yo, right? Feel right. good for the moment to fly. Or, wow, I didn't appreciate that I would dial in with Jen today mm -hmm. and we were going to have this conversation. But because it is good, I have moment of reflection. I'm restored. This is a rest. Mm -hmm. Even though we're chatting, 
this is a rest. So I say this, and I know that it comes with a tad bit of controversy, but say it. I I do pay attention to how people treat themselves. Mm. We can have lighthearted, be a little self-deprecating, but I'm mindful of people who are way too hard on themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm mindful of people who don't feel like they're deserving of things, right? I'm I'm mindful of people. And when I say deserving of things, I ain't talking about you just go burn up Neiman's. I'm talking about, to your point, I don't feel like I've done enough to deserve this moment of rest. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I've worked hard enough to deserve a pause and a reflection. I don't think I've given enough to all of y'all in exchange of what I've needed for myself. I pay attention to that because again, you can't give me no more than you have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the foresight to treat yourself as best as you can, then I have to believe that how you've already made agreements with yourself about yourself is going to manifest in how you have agreements and how you treat others. And I'm not saying that people got to be evil. I'm not saying people got to be harsh. But I do think that there is something very connected to what do you believe about what you deserve? And then how does that manifest in how you handle others? It's fascinating. I've never thought about it that way to that extent. Like I had some have to chew on, right? Like, um, because there's part of me that goes to like, well, it's, it's a, it's a, it makes me less leery and more sad for someone because I'm like, you don't think you're worthy of what you try to give to other folks. Right. So like, um, I was talking to, you know, a woman that I work with the other day and I was like, look, like there's nothing wrong with you seeking abundance for yourself or wanting to be paid for your labor in a way that honors your labor to, or to make a life for yourself that is beautiful and full and luxurious. You know why? Because you're working in service of creating abundance for others. So like you can't, you can't help other people get abundance if you don't live in abundance. Like how does that work? Right? Like you, you have to, you have to already be in that space to help others in their space. Because if you're living in lack and scarcity, like you don't have mm-hmm. enough in your life, in your cup, in and for you to then provide, you know, space and opportunity for others, right? Like you have to, there has to be um congruency between those two spaces, those two things. So like I like I, I'm still wrap, trying to wrap my mind if like interesting perspective that because like to me it's more of like this is an indication that like you are living in um, false narratives and limited mindsets that are preventing you from seeing that everything you're trying to present for others or present of yourself, you don't actually believe yourself. And so there's work that needs to be done kind of connected again to that spirituality piece, that self piece. That's like, you need to understand why don't you think you're worthy of these things? No, no, because I, I really Okay, I'm going to deviate and I'm going to swing back around to connect to your point, right? The whole idea of being cultured, woke, blackness, right? 
I believe that there are too many people who got into the space of the artifacts and collecting the 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 nuance of language and trying to be of it because you for real felt like that was the thing to do. And because it gives me leverage, like I'm a dial in. I'm not saying everybody, but at the end of the day, my blackness ain't oriented to how many hip hop songs I can spout from the dome, right? It's not connected to the fact that I might be appreciative of sneaker culture. It may not, I may not have all of the facts. You might be able to stump me as a black person on certain nuance of the history of hip hop, 50 years, shout out, make love, right? Right. But I think that we want to connect in ways and be a part of something in ways so we'll go and adopt the language so even when it comes down to service orientation and giving we have to be careful Mm -hmm. that what we do is grounded in who we are not how we want to be seen Mm -hmm. because I am truly one who understands abundance I can have an abundant mindset and my spirit may tell me hey everybody that got the handout don't get hit Mm-hmm. for sure that that can be a very clear point and it doesn't dismiss the fact that i'm living an abundant life and walk and try to be service oriented it may mean that there are some things that show up on my door and it might be the absolute right thing to do that i'll be like you know what i love y'all but if i take this on i'm gonna be less valuable to y'all because it's going to intrude on something else and guess what i can't pour from an empty pitcher Right, 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 right. Agreed. This is where I think the spiritual awareness is so important so that we're not becoming these representatives of a thing. Like, I don't want to be a representative of Blackness. I am Blackness, right? Same as I don't want to be a representative of giving service. I want to be that. And then that's where I think you have this moment of not feeling like I got to do so much to prove that I am my life becomes that. Well, and that's that's because it goes back to like, which is just to add another like representative piece, a representative of self. So if you aren't in touch with yourself and knowing who you are and what you, and you're not aligned, head, heart, gut, and you're not operating from this place of deep internal knowing, right? You don't focus on sitting back and saying, and it was good. Look what I look what I've done. And let me sit in this moment and see how I feel about this. If we don't have those touch points and that knowledge base of self, then when those mm-hmm. moments pop up on our doorstep, right? Or when it's about being black, we start to emulate based on perception. We start starting to we start moving and making choices based right. on the gaze that we get being picked or being selected versus mm-hmm. rooted in self, right? And saying, this doesn't serve me. Because I know who I am. I actually am better served doing this thing, which in turn is better for you if I'm doing that thing, right? right. right. I'm living a choiceful life, not a reactive life. I'm not letting life steamroll me. I'm not letting life decide for me. I am deciding and I'm deciding because I know me and I pour into me and I'm better positioned to then serve others. Right. Like, so that's that's how that goes. Right. It's a virtuous cycle. I've thought about having a podcast or I should say I've talked with folks about the idea of me having a podcast 
for some time. And I always had a reason not to do it. Largely felt like the space was flooded with voices and lots of perspectives. And I wanted to be sure that I had something different to contribute to the general discourse. Today feels like a very special moment that I just want to acknowledge. I want to thank Jen, Jesse, and Anthony for joining me in conversation as part of the first episode of A Beautiful Question. Who's to know where this journey takes us, takes me, but for sure it's an exciting moment. I'm struck by just how beautiful this very first question, what might, how might we operate in service of self really is. Three different people joining me in conversation, three separate conversations to contemplate this one question, each with different perspectives and experiences identities, live in different parts of the country, brought a different, yet strikingly, almost eerily similar set of contemplations to the table. None of them had any preparation for our conversation other than to listen to the introduction and the question itself. And yet, I find it remarkable that each one oriented around the notion that going inward might somehow be conceived as a selfish act, an act rooted in taking care of self above all others, possibly even at the expense of and had to, to some degree, walk back or walk through that in order to come to the other side, which is, aren't we all worthy of a selfish act that's meant to take care of, nurture, uplift self? And It's interesting that we still held on to the fact that in order to feel good about being focused on self, to be focused inwardly, it had to be so that we could then be in service of others. So it left me wondering even further, how might we operate in service of self? Period. Do we always have to operate in service of self in a way that equips us to operate in service of others? I don't have an answer for that yet. And I think that's what makes a beautiful question remarkable. Is that it allows us to consider, to contemplate, and maybe never have an answer. A beautiful question allows us to continue to contemplate. And sometimes it's at the deepest, most spiritual, most 
rooted in humanity levels. And sometimes it's the silliest, most arbitrary, humorous of levels. There is no one way through a beautiful question. It's what makes it beautiful. So my hope for us in practice is that we consider to contemplate this question. How might we operate in service of self? My hope is that we continue to do work individually and in community so that we can get closer to who we are and what we need to thrive in this lifetime. And so to close out today's practice, I offer a ritual something that perhaps you might do to consider to continue to explore, to continue to examine for self. I introduced this ritual a couple of months ago to some of my uh, folks that I'm in practice with in Intrinsic Wayfinding. We love others. We're, we're in community, we're in families, we have friends, that we love and we show that love to them easily without thought, oftentimes innately. Love comes to us and through us and we share it with others. And so I ask my fellow wayfinders, how do you love others? And specifically, as an example, I asked one of the women I'm in practice with how she shows love for her son. And without thinking, without missing a beat, she says, well, I tell him every day. I make a point in telling him every day that I love him. I show up for every single game he has. He's by by the way, a very accomplished and successful football player. And so for her showing up physically to support him in sport is an act of showing her his love, her love, showing him her love. And lastly, I create psychological safety for him. And she shares some ways that she's done that. Without missing a beat, this came from her. It shocked me how beautifully succinct and thoughtful and organized her love was for him that she could just say it without even thinking. She operated from a place of clear alignment without even missing a beat. And so I said to her, great, I want you to start to build a practice every day where you in turn love yourself just that way. I want you to tell yourself you love yourself every day. I want you to show up physically for yourself every day. And I want you to work to create psychological safety for yourself every day. And now here's the thing. You may not believe it for a long time. 
You may tell yourself you love yourself. You may find a way to do that. And you may like laugh, may feel uncomfortable. But I want you to begin to try. And so she said, well, give me an example of what that means. What does that look like? I don't even know where to start. It feels impossible. And I said, well, showing up for yourself physically every day could just mean on Monday you drink the amount of water that you said you wanted to drink. Keep it simple. And so each week we'd talk about at some point during our conversations where she was in her journey to do these three things for herself. And one week she said to me, so I figured out how to do two of the three things. And I said, what is it that you found? And she said, moisturized affirmations. And I said, what the hell is a moisturized affirmation? She said, well, I never put lotion on myself and I'm always ashy every day. And so now I put lotion on my skin every day. And while I'm putting on lotion, I tell myself something I love about myself. Even if it's my legs, even if it's the way my skin feels, even if it's just providing myself some grace that day, I give myself moisturized affirmations. And I told her I love that. So the opportunity for you is you contemplate this question of how might we operate in service of self is to perhaps start with loving you. Come up with the three things that you do to demonstrate love for someone in your life. Could be family member, partner, child, friend, an animal. And then apply those three things back to yourself principally. Remember, it doesn't have to be that you're going to now climb Mount Kilimanjaro. It can be a small act, but it's your act, your new ritual to love yourself. Give it a try. It won't be easy. Like Jesse said, you're going to have to stick with it. It may take many weeks, months even, until it's yours. But believe that through this work, through this new ritual, a pathway to self is possible. Thanks for practicing with me. Till next time.